First reading is from John 17, 14, verses, um, Luke 17, sorry, not John. Um, And it's on page 1051 on Church Bibles. So now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between between Samaria, yeah, between Samaria and Galilee. As 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 he was going into a village, ten men had leprosy met him. They 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 stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, "Jesus, Master, have pity on us." When he saw them, he said, "Go show yourself to the priests." And as they went, they, they, they were cleansed. One, one of them, when, when, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, we're, like, we're, we're based on all of you, all, all, all ten of you cleansed? Where, 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 where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then, and, then, and then he said to him, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. And the, sec- and the second reading is from page 1057 and the Gospel of Luke. And it's chapter, oh, it's chapter 22 and verse 14. And, and, when, and when, when the hour came, Jesus and his, and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I, I, I have eagerly, des- the, I have eagerly, I've eagerly the, the desired to eat in, in this Passover with you but before I suffer. For I tell you, I, I will not eat again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks. And said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it. He gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you to this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he he took the cup, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Great. Thanks for reading, George. Good evening, and uh, welcome again to St. Michael's. Um, it's great to be back with you. Um, it's been a good year in Cambridge. I've done a bit of, bit of rowing, um, a bit of studying, looking forward to going back to the books in September. Um, but I've missed you guys, and it's great to be back. Um, yes, we've just begun our sermon series on godly marks, marks of a godly character. Last week we heard about gentleness, and if you weren't here, I'd recommend going back online and listening to that. I found it really encouraging. This week, we're looking at thankfulness. I wonder, how would you rate yourself for thankfulness? Are you a thankful person? Out of ten, if ten's the most thankful you can be, where are you? Um, And if you are thankful, what does that look like? And if you're not so thankful, how, how would you like to be thankful? What do other people do that you think, ah, oh, I wish I was better at writing thank you notes after I've been to someone's lunch, uh, house for lunch or stayed at someone's house for dinner? Um, 
And these sermon, uh, the topics of these sermon series, gentleness, thankfulness, they're things that are uh, godly, but they're also just things that the world values, um, our society values. So there's lots that said about thankfulness. It's interesting to hear what it has to say. So I got in touch with a health and wellness specialist that I met a couple of years ago. I asked him what he makes of thankfulness and gratitude. He said he incorporates gratitude into the vast majority of his social media posts. He said it's crucial to our happiness, well-being, and peace of mind. Great, I completely agree. Uh, if you search sort of Google Images for thankfulness, you get all these like nice pictures with kind of sound bites and, and words. One of them said, "Gratitude wakes us up to the goodness and beauty in life, but we have to choose it." I saw a blog entitled "Thankfulness: A Good Drug." They began by quoting William Ward, who once said, "Feeling gratitude and not expressing it is like wrapping a gift and not giving it." He went on to say, thankfulness is a good drug with virtually no hazardous effects, but rather the power to heal us all. There are statements um, that help us develop a positive attitude. Today I am thankful. And another soundbite, it's not happiness that brings us gratitude, but gratitude that brings us happiness. There's lots of good, lots of truth in these statements, an attitude of gratitude is a fantastic thing to cultivate. I think one reason that thankfulness is so good for us is that it draws our eyes back from the world around us, the world of fancier cars, faster cars, bigger houses, uh, better paid jobs, more holidays, more regular, longer, more exotic trips away. It draws our eyes back from the infinite things that we don't have to the finite list of good things that we do actually have. And that's good and healthy. But the million dollar question is, to whom do we owe our thanks? We might be grateful to the friends who've journeyed with us. We might be grateful to the bus driver who's safely driven us across town. We might say thank you as we hop off the bus or write our friends a note to say, hey mate, really appreciate the way that you've walked with me these last few months. But who do we thank for those friends? Who do we thank for all those who uh, serve us, whose jobs make our lives better and easier? Who do we thank for our health, our finances, our salvation? Our passage this evening shows us that we're to give our thanks to Jesus. We see that Jesus, as we return to give him thanks, makes us well in the fullest sense, in the sense that we're all looking and longing for as we pursue wellness and, um, yeah, and, uh, and health. And we're going to explore that this evening. You might want to have your Bibles open as we uh, go through the story. Jesus, as we return to him, Uh, and give him thanks, makes us well in the fullest sense. So Luke 17, verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus travelled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Luke tells us that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. 
And that's not just a kind of incidental statement. Um, this is kind of a, a thread, a backbone, if you will, through Luke's gospel. It's a journey that began uh, in Luke 9. We're told in verse 51, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And then there are uh, points every kind of few chapters where Luke mentions this journey and says where we're up to on it and what's kind of happening. So in 1322, then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And that question frames the next few chapters until we get the next kind of marker. Um, Are only a few going to be saved? Who will be saved? So Jesus is on that journey, and here he is now traveling along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now, borders are funny things, and I think that for many of us here, kind of in the UK, in the West, we don't think much about them. Like, it's pretty easy to get an Esther and go to America, or to, you know, you sort of cross over into Wales when we're going to the Pembrokeshire coast, or cross into Scotland when we're going to the Highlands, the islands. Borders are kind of good, they're fun, they're, you know, there's no particular problem with them, but I found, I went to Camp Monty um, with Yelena last year, and... I flew into Dubrovnik, um, beautiful place, um, and then we were driving via Bosnia and Herzegovina, Herzegovina, um, and uh, you, you like drive up this sort of road from Dubrovnik, and uh, there at the top is kind of the passport control kind of border checkpoint, and we just had to sit there for I don't know half an hour, maybe longer, felt like ages. Um, what is this? Oh, it's, it's a border. What's that? Um, and I think that's the experience that many, many more people have. That borders are uh, a place of, uh, of hostility, exclusion. Um, think of Trump and his wall and all he'd like to cross over from Mexico into the States. Borders define and they separate. And this border that Jesus was walking between Samaria and Galilee wasn't just the border between these two people groups. It was more than that. The border was symbolic of the wall between God's people, those in Galilee, and those outside in Samaria. Those who were going to be saved and those who weren't. Or so the Jews thought. Remember that Jews hated Samaritans. And perhaps that's why uh, in Luke 9... James and John, the aptly named Sons of Thunder, are so quick to offer their services when this Samaritan village rejects Jesus. Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? It's why the parable of the good Samaritan is so shocking. Because it's the enemy, the Samaritan, the despised one, not the priest, a Jew, or the Levite, a Jew, who fulfills the law and loves the wounded man, a Jew, as his neighbour. That schism between the Jews and the Samaritans goes back about 700 years to when Israel was exiled. It was two kingdoms by that point, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. There were ten tribes in the north, two in the south, and the ten in the north were exiled shortly before the ones in the south. And the way they were exiled, they weren't so much carried off, but actually uh, lots of the invading armies were sort of their people were kind of brought in to sort of dilute um, culture and change the culture. 
And that resulted in them intermarrying and creating this mixed race, the Samaritans. While the Jews, the, uh, well, the two tribes in the south, kind of maintained their, um, their identity, their, their purity. Um, and so they despised their northern neighbors, brothers and sisters. So that's, that's what's going on here. Jesus is walking that border. And our story this morning, uh, so this evening, is one of borders. So, verse 12. As Jesus was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. You probably noticed that the ten met Jesus as he's going into the village. As lepers, they're unclean, outcast. But they probably live near enough to the village that they're able to receive pity from friends and family in the village and those passing by. They keep apart from Jesus and they cry out to him for pity. Perhaps they'd heard something of this traveling rabbi, but there's no indication they're expecting a miracle. Like a beggar on the street, they'll receive whatever he chooses to give them. And verse 14, when he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. He doesn't announce healing. Rather, he gives them an instruction. And these lepers would have been well aware of the laws in Leviticus 13 and 14 about their condition. How it separated them from the rest of society and how they could, if ever, kind of come back into society. They knew that the priests were the only ones who could pronounce them clean and welcome them back into community life. The priests were the ones who had that power to declare them free to return to their homes, their families. But they'd have also known that in history, only two people had ever been healed from leprosy. There's Miriam, whose story we hear in Numbers 12. She was afflicted with leprosy for seven days. And there's Naaman, the Syrian, who in 2 Kings 5 is healed through the instruction of Elisha the prophet. Two people. It's not a good record. Leprosy was terminal, and these ten had no way out. Perhaps they fantasized about that day where they'd be healed and pronounced clean again. Or maybe they'd given up hope and resigned themselves to lives of misery. But then Jesus instructed them to go and show themselves to the priests. There's an anticipation, an implication of healing. They haven't been healed yet as they stand there, but why else would he tell them to go? So they give it a shot. They head for the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. It's as they're going, as they're responding in faith to Jesus' command that they're healed. All ten of them, amazing how they must have praised God and shouted for joy. And this is where it becomes fascinating. Verse 15. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. 
your faith has made you well. Ten are healed. One returns to praise God. Ten are cleansed. One is made well. The ten realize they've been healed. They're heading to the priests. And one of them decides to turn around and go back to Jesus. He ignores what the others are doing and decides to return to Jesus. We're told he comes back praising God in a loud voice. Perhaps the other nine were praising God in equally loud voice. But what marks this man out is that he came back. He throws himself at Jesus' feet and thanks him. And he's a Samaritan, a foreigner, a despised one, an enemy. All separation is gone. This Samaritan, who once cried out from a distance, throws himself at the feet of this Jew. The borders crossed from unhealthy to healthy, Samaritan to Jew. He throws himself at Jesus' feet. Where are the others, Jesus asks. Where are the Jews? Presumably the group of ten living in the border region are a mixed group. Jews and Samaritans in that group, for once united by their common suffering. Could it be then that in that whole group, it's only this one foreigner who's had the eyes to see Jesus as he truly is? Not one Jew returns. And it's easy to understand. Perhaps they're preoccupied with their physical healing and going to the priest as they've been told. They're eager to be declared clean. They're thinking about all the good things that this means for them, things they've not dared to hope for. The to-do list, they're getting the show back on the road, getting his ambitions back, uh, pursuing all those things again, seeing their family and their loved ones. As a result of Jesus' healing, these ten men, uh, sorry, the nine, are able to cross the border that had been erected between them and society, them and religious life, them and their loved ones. Praise God. But we see from Jesus' response that they ought to have come back and thanked him. Are we like those nine? Are we anxious to receive but careless to thank? Do you remember those days when you were a child and Christmas and birthdays would be fantastic? all those presents, but then you'd be reminded, you'd be told you needed to write thank you letters. My heart would sink. It was the hardest thing to sit down. You just want to play or watch TV or eat more food. And you'd have to sit down and and write a letter to those kind aunts and uncles who remembered you and sent you something. Um, I was quick to receive, happy, delighted to receive, but so slow and careless to thank. Can you think of a time when you've prayed for something and then the prayer's been answered and you've just congratulated yourself and moved on? Just trivially, I often uh, am cutting a bit fine with trains, buses, that sort of thing. And I'll often look at my watch and I'm like, Philip, God, if please this train just be a couple of minutes delayed, like would it just not set off early? And then I might be able to jump onto it. And then it does, and the doors close behind you, and you sit down, and phew, 
And you think, oh, I, I nailed that. <laughs> um, <laughs> or maybe, slightly more, you know, more deeply, you're praying for breakthrough in a, in a relationship, in a strange friendship. You're longing to meet up with that friend or uh, to have a conversation with them. The door's been closed. You've been praying for years. And then they message you back and they say, yeah, yeah, let's meet up. Let's go climbing. Praise God. There's a story of a man named Louis Zamperini. You might have come across uh, his book or the film that Angelina Jolie directed um, about him. He, um, he's an American man who competed for them in the 1936 Olympic Games in Berlin, a sprinter, um, and then was uh, brought into the United States Air Force for World War II when that broke out a few years later. And uh, it's, a, it's an incredible story. And um, they're over the Pacific Ocean, and his plane is shot down. So he and a couple of friends end up in a life raft. And uh, early on in their time floating in the middle of the Pacific, they say, you know, what's, what's the record for the amount of time that anyone survived being at sea? And I think it's something like 47 days. And they, they count the days, and it it gets to 47 and it carries on going and he prays you know, Lord would you rescue us if you rescue us I'll give my life to you and in God's providence in, in his grace he rescues them not quite in the way that you might hope um, they're picked up by a Japanese warship and things kind of go from well not quite bad to worse I mean he's alive but it's not very nice over there um Anyway, I mean, I'm kind of spoiling the story here. Um, anyway, he, he survives and gets back to America, welcomed back as a hero, and, uh, and just completely forgets about that prayer, completely forgets about God, and actually descends into kind of alcoholism as a way of, I suppose, dealing with his trauma and this sort of, this fame that he's had and he's probably been forgotten about now. Um, yeah, he made that prayer said you know god i'll give myself to you and then completely forgotten about it so like one of these nine lepers he received an answer and then left left god behind um there's more to the story so uh, do look him up but i don't want to spoil it all um and then did you see uh from our, our passage that in jesus eyes the vague generalities of thanks and praise just don't cut it the nine others might have praised God, but what they had to do was return and thank Jesus. That's a very specific thing. Um, they had to come back to that, that man, that time, that place, where he was. We're told that the Samaritan came back, praising God in a loud voice, threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. He's praising God, praising God, presumably kind of hands in the air, eyes looking to heaven, and he's thanking Jesus. He's falling on the ground at the feet of a man stood there. And Jesus kind of equates those two actions. It's not kind of two separate things. It's not two different actions, two different people, but one act of praise and thanks in that sort of God-Jesus moment. 
Jesus asked, verse 18, has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? He loves that the man has returned to praise God. He's returned to fall at his feet. And in doing so, this man is acknowledging who Jesus is, his authority, his power, his compassion. This man sees his healing as a sign of the coming kingdom, God's kingdom, and sees that this man, Jesus, is its king. As a result, he's not just healed physically, like the other nine, he's cleansed of the skin, uh, he's cleansed of the skin disease, and he's made well in the fullest sense. He's healed of the heart disease that we're all afflicted by. He's cleansed of his sin. Will only a few be saved? Perhaps the answer this passage offers is yes, only a few, one in ten. The ones whose eyes are open to who Jesus is and who come back and thank him for the healing he offers. Jesus, as we return to him and give him thanks, makes us well in the fullest sense. True thankfulness finds itself expressed to the one who made us, sustains us, and from whom every good gift comes. Now we're going to have a brief interview now with George. George, up you come. Uh, George is uh, a friend, one of the, well, growing up as one of the youth here. We spent some time together uh, in Rooted over the last few years. Yeah. Um, George. Yeah, yes. This passage, how does it challenge you? How does this passage challenge me? It probably challenged me in the sense that I should be more thankful than, than I usually am. Yeah. Yeah. And what's the... What's the encouragement from it? Um, the encouragement from it is that... Oh, man. Um, i think. Um, encouragement of that. Um, it's probably just to... It's just encouraging you to be more f- thankful. Like, you know, how, how he's giving you more like a chance instead of, you know, how, how like he actually praises this person for doing that. So, so, you know, Jesus said, if you do what he did, you'll be, you'll be saved. That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. How, um, yeah, Jesus appreciates this man yeah. has come back. This I mean. There's like a positive yeah. perception. Yeah. Yeah, and that if we do the same, that likewise we'll be made well. Yeah, definitely. And, um, George, what are a couple of things that you're thankful for? I'm thankful for family, for, for like, you know, like being, a, like being in a cool family, having a roof over my head, and yeah, that's pretty much it. Family and friends, you know. Yeah, and being an athlete. And being an athlete. Yeah. yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah, I love being a swimmer. You get to eat what you want, and, and you don't, and you don't really get, get really fat. You know, just uh, stay the same. Good stuff. Yeah. So there you go. Be a swimmer. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Thanks, yeah. So, like those lepers, um, we so they're isolated um, by their condition. And likewise, it might, it's a bit more hidden for, for each of us, but we find ourselves isolated from the ones we love and ultimately from God by the self-destroying nature of our sin. If we know and love Jesus this evening and have thanked him for his work in our lives, then like that one leper, like we were just saying, we have been made well, fully well. As the lepers were fully cleansed of their disease, we've been fully cleaned of our sins. We've been reconciled, not just to those around us, 
but reconciled to God. We've been set free to come right up to Jesus' feet in wholehearted thanks and praise. We've been released to live our lives with him and to his glory. If you don't yet know Jesus or you're not sure if you do, then take this opportunity. Follow those ten lepers and cry out to him for pity. They didn't know exactly who he was. They hadn't got all the answers. But they cried out for pity and trusted for whatever he was going to give them. And when he shows you pity, return to give him thanks. But maybe that's your story. Maybe you've cried out for pity. Maybe you've become aware of God's work in your life. And if that's you, then then come back this evening and give Jesus the thanks. There's nothing better, more satisfying, more freeing than being made fully well, fully alive by Jesus. And presumably this man didn't just say thank you once and that was it. Presumably he carried that thankfulness. Paul, throughout the New Testament, is telling us to to be thankful, to be thankful always, to pray with thanks. What might that look like for us? Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2 says, It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. Maybe you do this already, but it's been a kind of new challenge for me. Why not try and spend a couple of minutes each morning praising God, thanking him for his love, We don't know what's going to happen each day, but God's love is assured to us. And then in the evening, coming back and thanking him for his faithfulness and the way that we've specifically seen his love for us in that day. Might mean looking at our our diary and our kind of morning routine and thinking, when do I have a couple of minutes that I can just say thanks? For me, it's when I'm on a foam roller um, at the boathouse. Um, Just a bit of downtime to give thanks. Um... Jerry Bridges, in his book, uh, suggests writing a list of like the big things, the kind of meta things that we're thankful for, like family, friends, um, God's word, uh, church family, and just coming back to that once, twice a week, and just giving thanks for those great gifts. If you're like me, you've never actually fallen at Jesus' feet in thanks. Uh, maybe you have. Um, but as I was preparing this, I thought, you know, metaphorically we do that. You know, I'm standing in worship and I'm thinking, you know, yeah, Jesus, I'm like falling at your feet. But, but you know, have we actually done it? Like, what's stopping us? Um, so maybe give it a go. I, um, I was in the library. Uh, no one else was there. So I just did it. Um, and I'd encourage you to perhaps have a go when you get home later. <laughs> um, the final challenge is to follow Jesus' example and to be thankful even when things are hard. We saw that Jesus is on a journey to Jerusalem. We were told that it's a journey to being ascended into heaven. But that journey took him through the utter pain, the humiliation and the scorn of the cross. And yet he was thankful. We heard in our second reading that passage where Jesus celebrates the Last Supper with his friends, knowing he's about to be betrayed. He broke bread and he gave thanks. That bread that represented his body being broken for those at the table. And he gave thanks and he shared the wine and said, share this among you. It represents my blood that I'm going to shed for you very soon. And he gave thanks. So let's be those who are thankful to Jesus 
even when we're not on that high, even when things aren't great, even when we're having to say to God, Lord, not my will, but yours. Our God is three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit. Let's pray for the Spirit's help to see who the Son is and to offer him our wholehearted thanks to the glory of the Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for 